This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We've been talking about the parable of the sower. And we're talking, we, the whole premise of, of it is the fact that if God is able to get his word onto the inside of us, if God, if God is able to get his word embedded inside of us, the, heart, uh, the, the word will bring about the life that's on the inside of it and it will bring about change and transformation in our lives. And what he's saying is some of the biggest hurdles to us walking into God's design and God's plan for our lives is that we have a heart that isn't receptive or it accepts the seed but doesn't allow the seed to come to full maturity. So what he's trying to do is give us some understanding as to how we can address those issues and put ourselves at a place where we walk into the fullness of what God has got for us. So we've had a look at a couple of different areas that are problems for us, and today I want to have a look at stony ground. And um, I'm actually going to use this, and I, I can't do this all in today, so we're going to continue with it over the next I don't know, period of time. I think this is one of the biggest issues for most Christians. Um, it's not to say that the other ones aren't relevant and don't have their place, but for many Christians, I think that this is a really important one. And so I want to spend a little bit of time focusing on that. Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, they immediately stumble. Every chapter of your life brings with it roles and responsibilities. When you step into your work environment, it's going to come with roles and responsibilities. When you become a husband, when you become a wife, it brings with it roles and responsibilities. When you become a parent, it brings with it roles and responsibilities. Let me have a good scratch of my nose and we can move on. Before I... <clears throat> it brings with it roles and responsibilities. It's important that we understand what those roles and responsibilities are and what the objective is that we're trying to accomplish. Because if you don't, there's an old saying, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Part of the reason that we struggle in so many of our different areas of life is because we aren't always very clear about what is the objective, what am I trying to accomplish here. And when I know that, it's able, I'm able to take um, the resources and the focus of my life and put it on there to make sure that I achieve and I accomplish what it is that I'm out to, to do. As a parent... The word says to me, raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. Raise up a child in the way that he should go. What he's really talking about is he's saying he wants us, and my responsibility as a parent is to establish a solid foundation of which my child is able to live. In the, in the time that you have with him, there are going to be many things that are influences in his life. Many things that are looking for opportunities to uh, influence his development. The point of it is, my responsibility as a parent is to get involved in that and actively make sure that we're establishing a solid foundation for our kids to grow on. Because there comes a time where they're going to leave home. And when they leave home, what they have to build on is the, solid, is the foundation that's been established. If the foundation is solid, if the foundation is good, their life will be good because they'll have something to build on. Anytime we have wobbly parts to our foundation or the entire foundation is askew, we end up in a compromised position. 
That's why it's very difficult for people who grow up in dysfunctional homes, and we all to a greater or lesser degree are not perfect. So I quantify all of this by sitting saying that I understand what the goal is, but because of God's grace, even though I'm imperfect in that, God will come in and God will intervene in that situation. But the, people grow up in varying degrees of dysfunction. And that's why people who grow up in very extreme areas of dysfunction, their concept of normal and what is right is so skewed that the problem with it is they're continually building on a compromised foundation. And so it's very difficult for them to achieve success in life, whether it be in relationships, whether it be in business, whether it be in any area, because the problem with it is, is that everything's wobbly because the foundation is wobbly. So we had an incident that took place over the last 10 days. Last week, the, the kids had to go and the boys went to go and play football. And Carter didn't have a good game. Um, and he didn't have a good game because the reason that Carter's on the team is because of his speed. He's not big. He's not the strongest kid. He's not the tallest kid. He's not the biggest kid. But he is a fast kid. So the thing is, the reason that his coaches put him on the team is because they say to him, when you get the ball, run to the outside and run up the line. He didn't do that the whole game. For some other reason, and it's been a problem that he's had throughout the season, is that Every time he gets the ball, he starts heading in a direction, and then he cuts in, and he runs right into everybody, and he gets tackled. So he did that last week, and he made some really bad mistakes with it. And so at the end of the game, everybody, all the parents are like, and all, all the team, and good game, good game, good game, and it's like, it's not a good game. Well, it's not a good game. We're not those kind of parents. It's easy to indulge everything. The thing about it is you're not helping your kid when you sit and say, good game, when it really wasn't. It doesn't mean that you, you're wanting to be mean and nasty about it, but we have a role and responsibility to raise a child up. And so the problem with it was I was concerned about where he was and concerned about what that, what that could lead to. And so when he came off the field, we had to have a quite a serious discussion with him about it. And we had to talk to him about what his role is, what his responsibility was on the field, and what he needed to do to achieve that. Because the problem with it was this. Number one, because of your size, every time you start cutting in and running in and you get tackled, some of those kids are pretty big. And unfortunately, down the way, you could get pretty seriously hurt. So don't do it. Number two, you're going to start getting frustrated in yourself because after a period of time, you're going to sit and say, I don't like football anymore because you know what? I never achieve. I never get anywhere. I feel like I'm always the one who gets tackled. I'm never able to do what they want. And actually, I'm getting hurt in the process. Everybody and everything wants a little piece of your kids. So when they're out playing football, the thing about it is every time they're running, every experience is looking for a little piece of your kid. And every time they're not able to achieve, and it's not to say that they have to achieve every time, but every time they, they, they get hit and knocked down, they're getting up and there's some messaging. It's always looking for a piece of them and giving them some information about who they are and what they're all about. Players chirp on the field more than you realize, and they've got a lot to say about who you are and what you can do. Coaches are looking for you, and they're, they're putting into you, and they're sitting saying, this is what our expectations of you are. And all of these things combined are adding in and it's giving them a whole bunch of information. And the more information that they're getting and the more experience that they're having, what ends up happening is it's producing something called a concept or an idea. Concepts and ideas are dangerous because they're inherently powerful. 
You see, a concept and an idea is basically something which carries within it the power of impregnation. A concept and an idea is something that collects together a whole set of different stimuli that are are similar in nature. And collectively they come down and what they're doing is they're looking for the opportunity to embed themselves in your heart. So what they do is they sit and say, you know what, you're really not achieving. And you start to think about that for a moment. That's the concept. That's the concept. You are not a good football player. The thing about it is a concept in and of itself has to have affirmation in order for it to embed itself in your heart. Our heart is important because our heart is the place where our soul, it's the confluence of our soul. So all the aspects of who you are, your emotion and your thinking and your decision making, all of those things come together collectively in a place called your heart. So when you have a concept that goes in that says you are not a good football player, the thing is the way that it embeds itself in our psyche, into our heart, is it makes an appeal to your emotion. And your emotion starts to sit and say, you know what, that's absolutely right. Because you're not as old as the other kids. So the thing is, because you're younger and because you're smaller, you probably aren't all that good. And actually, because you never achieve, you're not all that great. And so you start to feel within yourself, I really don't have the capability to be able to perform. So what have I done? I've just got the buy-in from my emotions. And the moment I get the buy-in from my emotions, my emotions and the concept begin to appeal to my psyche. And they sit and say, well, in order for it to be embedded, I need for you to give confirmation and affirmation of what's going on. So the psyche begins to kick in and begins to sit and say, yep, you know, that's actually right. That's true. When was the last time you actually did something with the ball? When was the last time that you actually scored a touchdown? When was the last time that you made some yardage? What is it that everybody seems to be saying? Have a look at how you feel. What is it doing? It's giving affirmation to everything else. And when I get buy-in from my thinking and I get buy-in from my emotions, the thing that follows suit is my decision-making. What's happened? All of a sudden, a whole bunch of stimuli, A whole bunch of information, a whole bunch of experiences came together collectively to form a concept. And that concept came and embedded itself in my heart. And what it did is it got the buy-in of my psyche, of my emotions, and of my decision-making. What's happened? I've suddenly got a belief. I've suddenly got a belief. A belief is not something that just sits in your head. That's a thought. That's an idea. That's not a belief. A belief is much deeper than that. A belief is something that collectively grabs hold of your being and becomes an expression of who you are because you get the full buy-in of all of those things. And beliefs are important because beliefs form the foundation, are the bedrock and the bricks to our foundation. That's what constitutes the foundation of our life. So we had to have a chat with him and sit and say, you know what, this is what you need to do and this is why you need to do it. And he went out this week and he performed. Why? It was important beyond anything else to be able to say to him and to be able to intervene in that situation where you never allowed a belief to take root in his life that was in any way able to compromise his ability. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit in your life is this. I'm here to make you a king's kid. 
That's the role of the Holy Spirit is to take the words of God and to sit and say, you know what? I'm going to take them and I'm going to break them down for you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that word and I'm going to deposit it on the inside of you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take an idea. I'm going to take a concept and I'm going to make every effort I can to get that to a place where it's embedded in your heart. Why? Because the thing about it is once the Holy Spirit begins to work in that context, he does everything to appeal to your emotions. So he sits and says, you know what? You don't have to live in despair. You don't have to live in a state where you don't know what tomorrow is going to be. You don't have to live in a place where it's like my life is difficult and my life is hard. He, he brings with him hope to sit and say, you know what? Tomorrow can be better than today. And let me show you what it can look like. What is he doing? He's appealing to your emotional status to sit and say, I need to get God's word and God's design for, life, for your life embedded in you. So let me show you what he can do for you. And when your emotion buys in and says, you know what? You know what? With God and me together, all things are possible. I'm buying into something. And when I begin to buy into that emotionally, then all of a sudden I go and I petition my psyche. And I'm sitting saying, well, let's talk about the thoughts. And the Holy Spirit gives us something called revelation. What is he doing? He's taking the way that we think. And he's saying, let me take that and let me mold that so that you have an idea and you have a grid for who God is. Let me give you a grid for your life and God's design for who you are. So I've got buy-in from my emotions. I've got buy-in from my thoughts and from my psyche. And so what ends up happening is that my decision-making follows suit. And it puts me at a place where then, when things happen in my life that, that come and collide against that and looking for my response, I have a belief that is of God that I'm able to respond out of. We're going to go through life. And as you go through life, you're going to recognize deficits in your own life. You're going to see needs in your own life, in who you are. You're going to see areas of your life that you sit and say, I don't really like that part of who I am. I wish I was different because it doesn't conform to who he is. You're going to encounter some circumstances and situations that are going to challenge you. And the thing about it is all too often when we go on a place where we are frenetically trying to grab hold of faith, all too often what we end up doing is opening our whole closet full of beliefs. And suddenly I discover some stuff about myself and I start to realize, hold on a second, what is the stuff that's embedded on the inside of me? What is the stuff that constitutes my foundation? All of a sudden I'm starting to discover something about myself and the way that I believe that is not necessarily in congruence with the way God thinks. In Matthew chapter 17, it tells the story of the disciples. And a man whose son was very ill came to the disciples and he said to them, can you help my son? And the disciples said, yes. You know what the problem with it is? Is we need to cast out a demon on the inside of him. And they tried to cast out the demon, but they weren't able to do it. So the man went to Jesus and said, listen, this is a problem. Can you help me? And Jesus said, sure. And he prayed for him and cast out the demon and the man was immediately healed. And so a little bit later, the disciples came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, tell us, what is the problem? Why is it that we weren't able to do that? And in chapter 20, Jesus says, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting response because God didn't say to them, you know, your problem is you don't have enough faith. He said to you, your problem is your unbelief. 
In fact, he goes on a little bit later to say, to say, really, faith is so powerful, you really don't need a lot of faith. Because if you have faith as a mustard seed, things will happen in your life. What he was saying is, the problem you've got is a, is a belief issue. The problem you have in your life is the fact that your beliefs are not lined up with God. The problem with it is it hasn't put you at a place where who you are and the way that you think is lined up with him. And as a result of that, you're not receiving and walking into what it is that you should be doing. The issue that they had was a belief issue, not a faith issue. So it becomes really important that we begin to understand and differentiate between Belief and faith and what is the relationship between the two of them and how do they relate to one another and how do we address each and what role does each of them play? There was a man called Blondin. He's a very famous tightrope walker. And um, he walked across a tightrope in New York over Niagara Falls between the US and Canada. He laid the whole thing out got everything together, and he actually promoted it. And it was so exciting, and people were so looking forward to it, that they had over 20,000 people who arrived to see Blondin cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he got hold of this tightrope, he got it all ready, got everything out, and off he went. And he met, 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 all was well, and he got to the other side. And people cheered, and people were happy, and people were, this all was fantastic. And he said, okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back again. So off he went, and he went all the way back. And people were like, gee, that's amazing. That's incredible. You do amazing things. It's, it's amazing how you could do that stuff. Then he went, and he got a wheelbarrow. And he grabbed the wheelbarrow, and he walked all the way back, pushing the wheelbarrow. No problem. And he got to the other side, and everybody burst into applause, and everybody cheered him, and everybody said that that's fabulous. And he said, now I'm going to extend an invitation to everybody. I'm going back again. Who would like to come and get in the wheelbarrow and come with me? And nobody replied. You see, people believed that he could cross from one end to the other. People believed that he could even push a wheelbarrow from one end to the other. They had belief in what he could do. The problem with it was nobody was prepared to commit themselves by getting into the wheelbarrow. That's what faith is. Belief holds a place, but faith holds a separate place because it acts on belief. When we talk about belief, in the Greek, the word for it is pisteo. And what it really talks about, it talks about being convinced about something. In our modern day context, we would speak about something called trust. If you really trust something, pisteo, that's what it's all about. But I want you to understand, listen to what it's talking about. It's saying when you really are convinced of something or you really trust something. Trust is something that is an emotional quotient. That's why Jesus said, I don't want people who are big-headed. There are so many religious, religious people who sit and say, your emotion has no part of your Christianity. The problem with it is then you're dealing with a whole bunch of information. And information is never going to introduce you to trust. You need to have revelation that affects the way that you think, but also informs your emotional quotient so that it builds on the inside of you a confidence in what God has said. So it builds within you a trust in what God has said. So when God says to you, do you want to get in the wheelbarrow because I'll take you to the other side? It's like, I'll do it. I can make that move. If we don't have the trust, if we don't have the confidence, we know what God can do. We know what God potentially is all about. We know what could happen to us, but we never get into the wheelbarrow. 
we never get into the wheelbarrow. Belief is important because belief forms the foundation, is the springboard to faith. It forms the foundation to faith. The problem with it is when we don't have belief that is congruent with what God's thinking is and we don't have it established on the inside of us. We don't have it at a place where we can step into faith. That's the challenge. Because what we're reading is, this is ones they have no root in themselves. That's the problem. We've heard some stuff about God and we get excited about it for a season. And we look forward to it. And we start to think about it. But the problem with it is we're not established in revelation so that it's just, it, it transcends just being a thought or an idea. It needs to become a belief in our life. It needs to be something that informs our psyche. Something that involves our emotion. Something that affects our decision making capacities. Every part of our, our soulish realm needs to be committed to that. That's called a belief. And when that's not established, what ends up happening, I get very excited about what God says. I really look forward to it. I allow the seed to come into my life. But the problem is the first time I have a challenge or a situation, I don't have within me the wherewithal to be able to sustain it. And so I don't follow through with it. That's what he's talking about. Belief is important because when you talk about faith, faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Belief is important because belief forms the foundation to faith. Belief is a part of faith. But faith is bigger than belief. Faith takes belief and acts on belief. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things. It's talking about the substrata of your life. It's talking about the foundation of your life. It's talking about the beliefs of your life. What it's saying is, what are the beliefs of your life? Faith comes by hearing. Why is that important? Because what it's saying is, I'm taking the thoughts of God. I'm taking God's concept to life and situations and who I am and what I'm all about. And as I begin to process those things and synthesize them, as I spend time with the Holy Spirit so that he breaks them down and he involves my psyche and my emotion and my decision making, what is he doing? He's taking God's way of thinking and he's making sure that it becomes the foundation to who I am. It's the substrata. It's the foundation to my life. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But that's only half the equation. It doesn't end there. It says it's the evidence of things not seen. Evidence is despite the fact of what I can see, although it's alive on the inside of me, I'm prepared to act out of that. I'm prepared to do something out of that. Faith is all about action. Faith is is saying, say something, do something. If we don't act or do, it's not really faith. Welcome. It's not really faith. The reason that our relationship with God is dynamic is because God has an ongoing interaction with us and wants an ongoing interaction with us. The more time we spend in God's word and we get revelation, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit is showing us God's ways. But the thing about it is he doesn't just want to live with that. He's not giving us a formula. He's inviting us into a relationship. So what happens is as we begin to navigate our way through life, you're going to have some very meaningful and real challenges in life in terms of who you are and what you encounter. And you know what the funny thing is? Those things don't just get fixed up like this because you wave a magic wand. They don't just suddenly disappear because we say, oh, we prayed and it happens. 
When God spoke to Abraham and he said to him, you know what? I've got a plan for you and I've got a destiny for you and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. What did he do? He said to him, I want you to leave your home, leave your country, leave everything you know. And what did Abraham said? What did Abraham do? He said, sure God, you said it, I'm out of here. He got a word from God and he acted on the word of God. He acted on what he believed. The problem with so many Christians is we have a look at things and we sit and say, well, I I really feel like God is calling me to do this. But the problem with it is, you know, if I stay here, then, you know, I'll have family around me and I have a good support structure. Lean not to your own understanding. We lean to our own understanding rather than being quick and obedient. And when God says do something, we do it. I've called you to be a father of many nations. In the very next breath, he says, you know what? I want you to take your son Isaac and go and sacrifice him. This is your ticket to destiny. And what did he say? He said, okay, Lord, off we go. Why? Because his faith wasn't engaged in everything that was happening around about him. His faith was engaged with what he believed. And he believed God. And whatever God said to him, he knew it was come to pass. And the thing is, he may not always know how that was going to happen. But he knew that he had a role and a responsibility to be responded to respond to what God told him to do. And as he moved into that, things would line up and things would happen. It's the same in our life. We end up with big challenges in our relationship. And we want to pray, God, just fix it. And God says, okay, I'll fix it. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's start looking at some stuff and working on some stuff. The first thing is, you know what? That really nasty, critical side to you, let's deal with that. Oh, but I want to deal with that, Lord. Just fix the relationship. He's going to fix it. But what he's going to do is he's going to begin to address certain aspects and areas of our life very often. And he's going to sit and say, you know what? Unless we get rid of the critical attitude, unless we get you to a place where you can accept somebody and love them for who they are, unless we get you to a place where you sit and say, you know what? I don't always want to be a person who criticizes. What ends up happening is we we pray for God's intervention, but we we compromise it all the time because we don't step into obedience. God, I, want you, I thank you for your provision. I thank you, know, even though I find myself in a situation where things are tough and things are hard financially, I want to thank you that you provide for, you, for me. And God's sitting saying, the issue is not that I haven't provided for you. You've got lots of provision coming in. The problem with it is you don't know how to handle money. So what you need to do is you need to spend some time with me, and I'm going to show you that actually you don't have an income problem, you have a spending problem. But we don't want to look at stuff like that because the thing is it's much easier just to sit and say, God, I just want to thank you, wave a a magic wand and everything just happens. James chapter 2 verse 17 says, faith without works is dead. What it's really saying is you can say that you have faith, but it's really just a whole bunch of words because faith is dependent on whether you have action or not. If you don't have action, all you really have is belief. What differentiates faith from action is the fact that I do something about what God has called me to do. Faith activates belief and makes it a reality in our lives. What God tells you is important. And the thing about it is God has given us something called a belief system so that we're able to access God's thoughts and God's way of dealing with life. He's given us a belief system so that we can take every part of our being and we can engage it in that belief so that we are committed to that. And we become, that's what forms our identity. That's who we are. 
The thing about it is, although he gives us that, it's resident on the inside of us. It's called a belief. The way that you make it and give it expression in your world, the way that you walk into a reality in that, is that you have to do something with it. Speak it out of your mouth. Act on it. What has God called you to do? Romans 10.10 says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What is it talking about? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. As a man believeth in his heart, what he's saying is, your heart constitutes the most sacred part of who you are. It's that place which is the confluence of your soul and all the different aspects of your being. And what he's saying is, I want for that place to walk into righteousness. What is righteousness? It means the thinking and every part of the foundation of my life is in line with God's thinking. I think the way he does. I see life the way he does. I anticipate things the way he does. Why? Because it's in righteousness. It's in order with God. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. But it doesn't end there. And it says, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. It's the evidence of things not seen. You need to act on what you believe. You've got to do something with that. Get in line with the Holy Spirit and say, speak to me. What do I do with this? They estimate that between 80 and 85% of Americans believe in God. 80 to 85% of Americans believe in God. The question is, How many people have faith in God? You see, that's the difference. You can believe in God. And that's a good thing. It's a good starting point. The problem with it is, it has no influence in your life. It's not about your belief. Your belief has an important part to play because it forms the foundation to everything. But when you have faith in God, what ends up happening is, I take that belief and I activate it. When I activate that belief, what I'm busy doing is, I'm busy saying, Jesus, you know what? I'm making you Lord of my life. I'm giving you influence in my life. Because I have faith in you, what I'm saying is, I'm listening to your words. I'm hearing what you have to say. And I'm taking those things and I'm I'm allowing those things to define my life. I'm allowing the seed into my heart so that it takes root and begins to grow. But the thing about it is, I'm acting on that as well. So it walks me into the truth of who you are and what you've called me to be. It brings about transformation in my life. You can live with belief and you'll never be transformed. One of the biggest problems I believe that so many Christians have is that their life is is entrenched in belief as opposed to living from faith. And it's a problem because the thing is you talk about all that God has for them and they sit and say, Hallelujah, yes, I believe it, which is true. But they don't do anything about it. We've got to do something about it because it's when we do something about it that we introduce it to our world. It's when we do something about it and when we act on it that all of a sudden a concept becomes an experiential reality in our lives. God may call you to do something or he may tell you to exercise the words of your mouth or both. That's what authority is. 
Speak to this mountain. What is he saying? When you understand what you're about and you understand where your authority comes from, you take the truth that's resident on the inside of you and you speak it into your situation and you live in the expectation of change. I'm acting on fundamentally what I believe and I'm introducing it into my world so that I can experience it. John chapter 9 verse 23 says all things are possible to him that believeth all things are possible to him that believeth it's an exciting scripture and it's a wonderful scripture but it speaks about possibilities possibilities speak about potential it didn't say it's going to happen in your life it says they're possible if you believe but if you relate that to something like Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe, must believe that he is. What is it saying? I want to have a look at what's established in your foundation. I want to have a look at what constitutes the very thinking of your being. I want to have a look if it's incongruent, if it is congruent with the way that God thinks about who he is and what he's all about. Must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a difference between a reward and potential. Potential says it could exist and the potential exists for it to, to, to happen. But it just, it's dependent on what you do with it. Reward says, you know what? Because you've gone out and you've done it, here is something as a return. It's a guarantee. When we act on faith, God's saying, it's a guarantee. When you act on belief, you're living in potential. It could exist. It could come to fruition. It could come into reality. It could affect who you are. It could transform your circumstance. But what are you going to do with it? If we don't act on it, we don't introduce it to our world. So it never becomes an experiential reality for us and for what we're all about. Beliefs are important. Beliefs are the springboard to action in our life. So making sure... That what constitutes the foundation of our life is important and we need to be very deliberate and intentional about that. We need, that's where we become the gatekeeper of our lives. We have a responsibility to that. But once we've established the foundation of our life, it's not enough to live in that. It's not enough to live in belief because we're called to be people of faith. People of faith sits and says, you know what? I have a belief. I have a, a foundation that's, that, that is structured and built on God's way of thinking. And now I'm going to act on that. Now I'm going to behave on that. Now I'm going to speak from that place. Now I'm going to live from that place. And I live in the expectation of transformation and change in my life.